Welcome to Healthy Churches ABNWT, a resource created by and for PAOC Alberta and Northwest Territories pastors and ministry leaders. The focus is on leadership development and congregational health. The goal is to help you reach more people. Visit abnwt.com for more information. Welcome to the ABNWT podcast. My name is Jeremiah. We host this podcast every month by ABNWT leaders and for ABNWT leaders. Our goal is to help you reach more people. With me today is John Alveston. John is one of the effectiveness coaches here in the district, and he's been working here now for just over a year. So welcome, John. Hey, it's good to be here. John, you've been working with many of our churches in the ABNWT district for the past year. Uh, you've seen churches growing. You've seen churches in plateau, in decline. Tell us a little bit about what happens in a church that uh, is in plateau or decline. What kind of characteristics are you seeing? Well, the common disease we're, we're seeing in our churches, and this isn't just our district or our denomination. Quite frankly, it isn't just our country. Yeah. Uh, but the, the most common disease is what I would say is a, is a preference-driven church. Um, where what drives everything that happens is people's preferences. So, for example, um, and, and th- this may sound familiar to, to you guys, uh, what color are we going to have the new carpet? Well, it's the color I want. No, the color I want. No, the color I want. <laughs> fight, 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 fight. You know, uh, yep. what kind of music are we going to have? Well, the music I like. No, the music I like. Well, no, fight, 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 fight. You know, what kind of preaching we have? Well, we need more prophecy. No, we need more end times. No, we need, you know, more doctrine, whatever. Fight, 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 fight. It's this me, 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 me kind of religion. Um, How do I know the pastor's doing a good job? Because he's doing things the way I like. Wow. So so that is sort of the most common disease is this church for me. And it infects our spiritual lives. And and how could it not? Yeah. Um, So, for example, if... God answered all of your prayers right now, whose life would be affected other than your own? Wow, yeah. Me, 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 me. Um, Even healing. I mean, we're Pentecostals. We believe in healing. Well, good for us. Um, But there's a big difference between the way we practice healing and the way Jesus did. If you read your Gospels, you'll see that Jesus spends most of his time healing outsiders, where we just want healing for ourselves. And the, the cold, hard truth of all this me, me religion is... Um, God, it will never bless your church. He only blesses his. Wow. And so, I mean, what's happening then? Are we just, in these churches, they're just not looking outside? Some of them would say, well, you know, we tried this and, uh, you know, (laughs) we've done everything we can. God's the weak link in the chain type thing. You know what I mean? Like, we just need a move of God. What would you say to that? Well... Well, let's break that down, the whole idea that, you know, we've done everything we can. We just need God to move. Um, I know while we're waiting for God to move, I think the other way is true, that God's usually waiting for us to move, Um, that God isn't the weak link in the chain here. It's not that he's forgotten how to do his job. The Holy Spirit has forgotten to convict people of sin. Um, I just don't think we've been listening to him very well. Uh, I don't think the issue is is so much uh, God's lack of motivation uh, or God's lack of power. Uh, it's just our lack of obedience. We're just not getting up and and doing what Jesus asked, and that's simply following him. 
the Holy Spirit's already at work, you're saying. Oh, absolutely. Like the Holy Spirit, he's already here in Alberta. He's already in each and every life um, in every person in your community and has been in their lives their whole life long. And according to my Bible, it's his desire that everyone be saved. So I don't think the Holy Spirit's the one who's been dropping the ball here. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're here, like you're you're listening to this saying, okay, well, okay, I agree. Like we're preference different church. Um, what do I need to do? What's the next step? How do churches like this? How can they move from preference to purpose? Well, when I've seen churches turn around, and I've seen a lot of them turn around over the years, and you know, and I've had the privilege to lead some of those turnarounds myself. Um, the first thing that has to happen is, is a heart change. Okay. And that heart change is to move away from this church is all about me to church is all about following Jesus. And what did Jesus ask us to do? He told us to go make disciples of all nations. Um, And so when we're looking at even just those little details of our church life, what color are we going to have the carpet? The answer can't be about what my favorite color or your favorite color is. It has to be about reaching the community. It has to be about the Great Commission. It has to be about our job. Mm. So what color are we going to have the carpet? Well, what color is going to reach the community? What kind of music are we going to have? What kind of music is going to reach the community? What kind of preaching are we going to have? What kind of preaching is going to reach the community? When I pray, I want to pray for the community. When I heal, I want to heal the community. So it is a complete 180 turnaround in our hearts. This is the deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me moment where we're not going to be doing church to please ourselves. We're going to be doing church to please our Lord. Wow. So what does a purpose-driven church then look like? What is that? What's the next thing that needs to happen? Well, we need to realign a lot of our values. So besides sort of the, the activity of you know bickering about the music and the preaching and the visitation, um, there's core values underneath that. So the problem with the preference-driven church is often we have this, this highest value is, is harmony. Um, now, harmony sounds like a good thing, which is why people have it as a value. But it's this, the last thing we ever want is to have somebody offended or somebody's feelings hurt. So number one of our items on our agenda in our board meetings, our staff meetings, you know, our church meetings is somebody might be upset. Um, When people come into our offices and they use leverage against us, it starts off with the statement, well, I've been talking to some people and some people aren't happy. Um, Right. This we can't afford to offend anybody, so you better do things my way. Um, that that needs to stop. So we need to, to drop that as as a value. We need to be pleasing our Lord, not about pleasing people. Um, and the, this value of stability that we want to maintain our cultural stability. That the church is some kind of a museum to the past. That the church twenty years from now needs to be the way it was twenty years ago. And I see all the time. Um, different churches parking on different eras in history. So we've got our um, 1800s churches. Right. Uh, I've been in 1600s churches. We've got our 1950s churches. Um, we've got 1970s churches. Uh, I've been in 1980s churches, still with the plexiglass pulpit and the big flowers and the bouquets and everything <laughs> on the front of the stage. We've got our 1990s churches where we want more on the floor in 94. And, um, you know, if we could only get the Toronto Blessing to come back. But they've picked some area of time to park on. And maybe that era really meant something to them, and that's why they're nostalgic about it. But 
you're just pleasing yourself. You're not pleasing your community. Right. I mean, you're not targeting the people um, you're trying to reach. And I mean, we've been called fundamentally to be fishers of men. And if we're going to be fishers of men, we need to be baiting the hook according to the fish we're trying to catch. Right. Um, yeah. That's why like a fisherman puts a worm on the hook. It's not because the fisherman thinks worms are tasty for himself. Right. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. You know, it, it's gotta be, gotta be about that mission about, you know, how we're, we're, we're reaching out to them. And so it, it has to be that, that heart change. And we just have to just quite frankly, go through a lot of the things we're doing with a fine tooth comb. Um, so for example, one traditional people pleasing kind of value we often have is that ministry should be done by the minister. Yeah. Um, and some, you know, fall into this, maybe not with a people-pleasing motive in mind, but it's just the only way they know how to do things, the only way they've seen things done. Um, but that inevitably results when the minister does all the ministry and the pastor does all the pastoral care is you've got, you know, one guy running around um, trying to please everybody and trying to be at all their birthdays and, and care for everybody. Um but that fundamentally isn't his job description in the Bible. Right. In the Bible, um, in Ephesians chapter 4, our job description as pastors is to equip the people for good works, not to do good works instead of the people. And so when we're the ones doing all the ministry, we're just running ragged. And our churches, like if you're a real, real hard worker, you might be able to get it a little over 100, but you're going to you're going to stall out yeah, eventually burn out for sure because you only have 24 hours in a day. Yeah. I don't care how hard you pray. God's not giving you 27 hours in a day. <laughs> um, there's only so many people that you could possibly care for. Um, and you need to drop that model of the minister has to do all the ministry. No, no ministry needs to be done by the members. Your job is to equip people to do ministry. Right. So we want all our people to be ministered to, we want all our people to receive pastoral care, but it doesn't have to be from one guy. It doesn't have to be from you. Your job is to ensure that it happens, and your job is to equip more and more people to do ministry, to equip more and more people to do pastoral care. Okay, so let's break this down a little bit more. You talk about church has to be following the Great Commission, okay? <laughs> Tell me what that looks like, local church, Canada, 2018. So our basic job, when you take the great commission of making disciples, making disciples is a process. So right. our job fundamentally is to take Joe Pagan and make him look like the apostle Paul. So somebody who doesn't know Christ and make them look like someone who does know Christ has the heart of Christ, the passion of Christ, the mission of Christ, the character of Christ, the priorities of Christ. Right. So we're trying to make someone who's Christ like that is what our job is, but that doesn't happen instantaneously. It's a process. Right. So what we need to do is just walk ourselves, even just initially mentally, through the process. So we're starting with Pagan Joe. How does Joe Pagan even know that our church exists? Like right. have we thought about connecting with him? Yeah. Um, once he finds out that, that we exist, why should he even care? Now, I can tell you why Joe should care because right. we know the living God. In him we have redemption, in him we have forgiveness, in him we have abundant life, in him we have healing, in him we have new mission, new purpose, new life. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But does Joe know that? Wow. Have we taken any time to communicate that to Joe? So Joe knows that's what happens here. Um, let's just follow Joe's journey. Uh, another step. 
Um, what happens if Joe checks us out on social media or on our website? Like seriously, 90% of people will check you out online before they'll ever foot, set foot in your building. Um, but when you look at your social media, you look at your website, are you even talking to Joe or are you just talking to yourself? Hmm. You know, are we fishing for fish that are already caught um, or are we fishing for Joe? Are we saying anything of interest to Joe? Are we speaking in Joe in language that he could possibly even comprehend? Uh, do we have that invitational culture so we actually – Joe comes in person? And what happens if Joe comes in person? Um, what happens when he gets to the parking lot? What happens when he gets to the front door? How do people treat Joe? He is even greeted. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and you and I know Jeremiah. I mean we're in different churches literally every single week and sometimes several different churches on a weekend. Um, and coming in as strangers, it is far more common than not that no one greets us, no one speaks with us, no one engages us. People just talk to their own friends. Yeah. Um, and if Joe comes in and feels unwelcome and unwanted, why do you, do you think Joe's coming back? Nope. Um, <laughs> like it's just such simple yeah. hospitality that we need to show. But what happens to Joe in the lobby? Does anybody talk to him? Does anybody engage with him? When he sits down, what happens when the service starts? Um, do we welcome him? Um, do we know, tell him that it's okay to be here? Um, what happens in our music? Is it music that he can relate to? Is it music he, he can even comprehend? Now, I'm not talking about watering down anything. I don't believe that we should be watering down any of our theology, and I don't think we should be watering down any of our spirituality. No. But I think we can communicate a lot better than we do. So when yeah. you look at the New Testament itself, yeah. Um, the New Testament, uh, and we all learned this in Bible school and seminary, um, the New Testament wasn't written in classical Greek. It wasn't written in academic Greek. It wasn't written in philosophical Greek. It was written in street Greek. Right. So originally, all of our theology, all of our spirituality was communicated in plain language. So whenever we read our Bibles and you read a religious word, you just know that that's a bad translation, that originally it wasn't, that wasn't a religious term at all. So disciple. Not a religious term. comes from the trades. just means an apprentice, like an apprentice carpenter. Yeah. Um, bishop. Not a religious word. It just means a, a foreman at a job site. Um, every job site has a bishop. Um, <laughs> That's right. Um, baptize. Not a religious word. It simply means to dunk something underwater, like you baptize your laundry. Um, repent. Not a religious word. It's how you give directions. It means make a U-turn. Go down 4th Street and repent. Um, <laughs> Like yeah, yeah, yeah. The I word see. of God, when it was originally delivered to us, it was in plain language. Yet, when you look at our music and when you look at our sermons, are we communicating yeah, plain language? We complicate language? it. We complicate it. Um, so, again, I'm not talking about watering anything down, no. but are we at least communicating in a way that Joe could possibly even understand what we're saying? Right. Yeah, that's, this is good. Um, uh, at the end of our message, do we present the gospel? Right. Do we lead them through the prayer? Um, and if we do, what's our follow-up game plan with Joe? What's the first five things you want to teach a, a brand new believer? Yeah. Um, because evangelism, that, that making that decision for Christ isn't our end game. Now that's just in the middle of the process. Our end game is to make them to be a fully mature, self-reproducing disciple. Right. Um, so how do we follow up with these new believers? What's the plan? Are we just hoping it happens by itself? Um, 
First John chapter two talks about different stages of, of Christian growth: little children, young men, spiritual fathers. Right. So, what's our game plan in our church on helping Joe to grow through those all, stages? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So this is all of our job, um, and in ninety five percent of the churches um, that that I go to, and I ask the question: Have we thought this through? The answer is no. We haven't thought this through, and. When we do think this through, then we realize, oh, wow, we've got gaps here. We've got gaps there. Well, here's the good news. When you fix those gaps, discipleship works. Right. You know, and it works fundamentally because when the Great Commission was given to us, sometimes we leave off the last little verse of it, but the last verse is what makes it work. And that verse is, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. We don't do this in our own power. Right. Of course. Um. I can't lead anybody to Christ in my own power. Like, I'm just not that good of a salesman to have somebody give up their entire life to somebody they can't see. Yeah. Like, I might be able to come, get you to come down five bucks on that set of tires. But uh, <laughs> that's it. That, that's as far as yeah, my skill you can't level get me to, goes. You can't get me to give my whole life uh, no. away. <laughs> you know, and same with this, you know, a- after they become a believer, you know, I don't bring somebody to maturity because of human cleverness. You know, I do it. Because the Holy Spirit is empowering this, and I'm doing my role in being obedient. Um, just like the Bible says, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God makes the seed grow. Right. So that's true of spiritual seeds. It's true of physical seeds. There's not a farmer on planet Earth who can make a seed grow, but we still have our part in the process to play. We, we need to do the planting. We need to do the watering. God makes it grow. Right. You know, so the weak link in the chain here in our churches isn't that God has forgotten to make the seeds grow. The weak link in the chain is we ain't doing any planting and we ain't doing any watering. Wow. Um, That's the problem needs to be fixed. And once it gets fixed, and this is great news, we see church after church after church turn around and make a big difference in their community. Like, I'm happy to say I've seen more people come to Christ in the last four years than the previous 40 years Put together times 10. Wow. I've personally led more people to Christ in yeah. the last four years Praise than God. the previous 40 years put together Praise times God. 10. Like, this works. Yeah. Wow. So talk to us about I mean, you've been You've been boots on the ground in our churches here in Alberta Northwest Territories. Tell us what you've been seeing. Tell us some of the things that have been happening since the, in 12 months that you've been working with us. Well, we've seen some pretty dramatic uh, things happen. I was talking to one of our pastors in Edmondson, and you know they were seeing you know a trickle of people coming to Christ um, every year, but yeah. most of their growth has become come from people who are already Christians moving into the area and going to their church. But once they started, no, we're going to focus on reaching our, the lost. We're going to focus on the Great Commission. The number of people who have come to Christ in that church has been astounding. Um, by this Christmas, I think they're going to break 400 people coming to Christ wow. um, this year. Um, and that's not, not in Mississippi. You know, that's here in Alberta. That's in Edmonton. Right. Um, and for all our Calgary listeners, I bet you've fallen out of your seat that, you know, godless <laughs> Edmonton could actually see people come to Christ. But, uh, <laughs> How could it be? God, God could do anything. And it, it's not just, you know, in, in big churches, we're seeing it in, in little churches, um, churches of all size. Um, yeah. We're seeing so, some dramatic things. People coming to Christ. And, well, and you yourself, Jeremiah, I know you've seen, you know, even in very small towns under 1,000 people, yeah. you know, in churches under 10 um, just light up, start leading people to Christ, and uh, yeah, 
The problem isn't that the Holy Spirit isn't already here. He's ready and willing to do his job. We just need to start planting and watering those seeds. Well, John, thanks so much for your time, and thanks so much for what you're doing in our district can, can continue to do. And friends, let me just encourage you again, share this. Share this with your board, your team, your church. Get the word out about what's going on here in our district. And let's remember, it's not just about your church, but it's about all of the churches, the 4.1 million souls here in the ABNWT region. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time.